0: This is um, an introduction, foundation to the family series. Uh, We we need to know where it all began. And we need to know what are the foundation stones. uh, When you unravel the family to the irreducible minimum, what do you have? What do you see? And that can only come from the book of God in the very beginning. The first statement in Genesis, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. It's stated there. It's a statement of fact. He doesn't try to defend it. He doesn't try to justify it. He says, This is the way things are. The earth was without form or formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light and there was light. God is theologically defined as the creator ex nihilo. It means that he creates out of nothing. He does not start with raw material. He starts with nothing, just himself and his word. And so this earth is formless, it is void, there is darkness. But a little glimmer of hope, the spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep. Then God speaks, pronounces himself, let there be light. And there was light. That formless darkness, chaos, in many ways describes many of our lives, where we are at. But present with us always is the spirit of God. In a sense, hovering looking to speak into our lives and to say, let there be light. And I pray this is what will happen in the family series. The areas of darkness that exist in your family, maybe your relationship between yourself and your spouse, maybe it's between you and your siblings, maybe it's between you and your parents and other relatives. We pray that God will say, let there be light. And uh, because darkness here is defined as the absence of light. When light comes, it dispels the darkness. And then you're able to see. And I pray that this is what will happen in the course of our conversations here. And I like uh, Lorraine's prayer that God would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to accept his word and to see what it is that he's saying concerning ourselves. Genesis reveals the nature of God, his power, his authority, and his grand design. And so we, we have glimpses of who God is from Genesis. This creator that we are calling ex nihilo He's so powerful that when he speaks, things come into being. Scriptures will speak of the God who calls the things that are not as though they were. So something does not need to exist for it to exist. God simply needs to will it, and it happens. And I like again that Lorraine prayed here that the God who created us can unravel those cords of death that might be strangling some of us. It could be symbolically or even literally. And God is able to undo that. And he proved it. He called Lazarus out of the dead. Lazarus, come out. Never mind he was dead four days. That is the creator ex nihilo. That he is able to create life where there is no life. He's able to reverse conditions. He is all powerful. There is nothing he cannot do. And so these are the glimpses that we have of the God that we are coming to. And so when he speaks, things happen. A chaotic, void, dark world. The spirit of God hovering around that and and seeing the things that need to be done. And the first thing is, let there be light and there was light. The Lord saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. And that's how we have the first day, night and day. And God said the second day, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. In other words, in the second day, he creates the skies, he separates you know, uh, the, the, the waters above the skies, um, and then the ones below. Um, the third day, he goes on uh, in his creative ability, he gathers the waters uh, under the sky, puts them in one place, calls that the sea, and then uh, the next thing he says, let the dry ground appear, and it appears, and then he says, let the ground teem with vegetation, and let it teem with trees, uh, t- uh, t- uh, fruit bearing trees after their own kind, etc., etc., etc. The fourth day he creates lights in the sky to govern the night, and the moon, the lesser light. And then he he creates the greater light, the sun, to govern the day. And whatever he says, that's what happens. And here he's establishing authority. An all-powerful, all-wise God, creating out of nothing, out of chaos, order, beauty, beauty vegetation, life, ultimately creating us. So he says, let the water swarm with um, swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly over the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves uh, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God so that it was good. The other day he says, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. All this time, man has not appeared. And then at the end of the sixth day, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God originates us. He seated in the company of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally existent, in harmony, deferring to each other glorifying each other and enjoying each other's company. And in that state, God makes a decision, originates a decision, let us, note the terminology. He's a God who lives in a social context. He's not alone. He doesn't say, let me make. He says, let us make man in our image. is plural. So a pluralistic God wanting himself to be represented Not in a singularistic way, but in a multiple way. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created him. And so, our existence, if you're to break down human society to the irreducible minimum, You will get a man and you will get a woman because that is the only way that God's image is represented in humanity. The man alone, and we will learn that he existed before Eve, could not fully represent or mirror God's image. The woman alone could not mirror God's perfect image. But together, male and female, they mirrored the image of God. And so at the very core, Of human society is a gender distinction of male and female as the full representation of God's image. You cannot wish any of them away and those are the basic building blocks of the human family as designed by the Creator. Clearly stated cannot be contradicted because that's how God ordained it from the beginning. Not only does he originate humanity as male and female, he also defines the purpose for which he created male and female. What does he say? Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So to be human is to have dominion. Why? Because you represent God's image. God is the creator. He has dominion over all his creation. He delegates his dominion or his authority to the creature that looks like him. And saying, like me, you will rule. You will have dominion over everything that I have created. That's part of the purpose for which I'm creating you. Again, these are not thoughts that are original to us. These are thoughts that are original to God. So he's the creator, he decides why he's creating us, and he defines it clearly so that we may not be confused. Together with the creation mandate, male and female, he says this, and God blessed them. And the definition of blessing here has nothing to do with what we've made it. There are no material things that are going to be mentioned, there is no wealth, there is no career, nothing like that. Blessings, according to God, of the gender, the the, the multiple gender that will represent him, reads like this. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's what blessings look like from my point of view. In other words, part of my purpose of creating you is to have dominion. How do you have dominion? I will make you fruitful, that is conception, and when you're fruitful, you will multiply, you will fill the earth, and you will represent me in the creation that I have made, and you will have dominion or authority over it. You will rule over my creation as my representatives. That's what my blessings look like. I think it's good that we define these terms early so that later on when we're talking about marriage and what is the marriage blessing, then we, we are clear about what's blessing from God's perspective. And so the question of blessing is linked to the questions of being fruitful, is linked to the question of multiplication, is linked to the question of dominion. So unless you multiply, you cannot have dominion. When God sent the children of Israel to Israel, one of the statements he makes, I'll find it a little later, is that I will not let you occupy the entire land all at once. Otherwise, you will be overwhelmed by the wild animals. I don't know whether you've ever read that. It's in the Bible, I promise. So I'll let you occupy it slowly by slowly until you have dominion over it. Because at the time that they went into promised land, they were too few. And most of the places were bushy and, you know, teamed with wild animals. I'm just saying that the question of multiplication is also linked to the question of dominion. So then, this is the definition of God's creation. And this is what is revealed that we have an all-powerful God, all-knowing God, all-able God that we've sung about today, and he originates the idea that I will create humanity, I need to be represented in the earth or in the world that I have created. He creates all these other animals and all other creatures. but the pinnacle of his creation, he decides, I want to see myself mirrored in my creation. And the only creature that is able to do that is called man. The word man, incidentally, here is used as Adam, or Adam. It comes from the Hebrew word Adama. Adama is earth, or soil. It also means red or light brown in the Hebrew. Okay, So Adam is a derivative of Adama, and Adama is actually the raw uh, material from which Adam is created. So in a sense, Adam actually means a creature of the soil or a son of the soil. Adam is derived from Adama. Another word that is closely linked with Adam is Dam. Dam, for the Swahili speakers, is the same as Damu. So Dam in the Hebrew means blood. Okay? And of course, we know it's also red. So that's why part of it is also the meaning of uh, Adam is also red or light brown. And so this creature of the earth is Adam, created from the soil, Adama, and, and we'll see a little bit of that uh, and what it means. And this is what God creates. But Adam is just a shell, okay? That's a creature of the soil, so he molds him out of the soil, and until he breathes the breath of life into him, he does not become a living being. In other words, until that point, he still doesn't mirror the image of God. But he becomes alive and then mirrors who God is. This is the definition of what God has done. And uh, maybe in way of foundation, let me tell you something that I did recently. I read a book, um, a very interesting book. And it was very gripping. It was a, a life story I love, life stories. So I read it all in one sitting. And at the end of it, I was, you know, I was so intrigued. I know the author. She's a friend of mine. So I called the author and I said, I'd really like to have a meeting with you. To have a conversation about this character that you have created is a beautiful character. And I'd like to know a little bit more um, because I, you have questions after you, you read a story. And it's linked to an author that you know. And, um... Uh, we still haven't had that sit-down, and uh, it gave, gave me some beautiful glimpses into the life of this particular author, and the author is known to us. She's one of us here, and uh, her name is Pre. We know her as Spree. Some of you knew her because she was part of our um, internship program. She's actually the one who authored the Angaza program that you now enjoy, and, and she's right here with me. Would you stand up, Pri, Priscilla? And yes, she's as beautiful as she's intelligent. And let me, for, you, for, for the young men, she's already spoken for. In fact, there's a deposit by the young man guaranteeing the things to come. So, so thank you. Um, and, and, and that conversation between uh, myself and Pri is still pending. In fact, I told Pri, I'd like to talk to you about Zakia. There are, I have a few questions that I'd like. Um, uh, please sit. And, and we appreciate uh, your, um, your authorship. There are many good things that you, you do, and this is just one of them. Um, but supposing, for argument's sake, in that conversation, between myself and the author of Zakia, um, Priscilla comes and she's excited to talk about Zakia, and, 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 uh, but the first thing I tell her during our meeting is, um, oh, by the way, um, you know, I thought up a few things uh, about Zakia, and 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 I hope you don't mind. But um, one of the things that I I did as as I read Zakia, um, I thought Zakia is not a very common name, so I decided to change the the, the name Zakia to Zakayo because we are more familiar with the, the name Zakayo. And um, and and apart from that, I, as I went through uh, Zakia, you know, I, I don't particularly like happy endings. Okay, um, and so I changed Zakayo into a crook at the end and he's, you know, he steals a car and is shot by police. You know, I, I just think it's a, you know, it's a more realistic ending uh, than the one that you, you have put. And and because um, of my great contribution to your work, you know, I appended my name after yours, you know, Priscilla Mugo and Charles Nganga. I just think it might sell. You know, how do you think that conversation would go? You know, she would be furious. In fact, the first thing, the words to come out of her mouth is, how dare you? How dare you infringe on my work? Who gave you permission to change, number one, my title, you know? And you have no authority to tamper with my content. This is my original work. It tells my story, not your story. So how how would you even conceive that we can have a conversation about this happening? And we know that there are laws that protect what? Copyright, intellectual property. And you know what those laws are supposed to do? They are supposed to protect the creator of the content so that they are able to enjoy their creation for as long as they live. Those are the, 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 the intellectual property rights laws. And every country has an act. And, and it prohibits people from infringing on copyright, from infringing on trademarks, from infringing on inventions, mostly for the entire lifetime of the creator, so that the creator can benefit from their efforts and from their work. And, and we have no authority to get in there and do our own changes because we think it's more creative. It's not our work. We don't have that permission. And we understand that, even at a human level. In academic works, when you present your thesis, or whatever it is that you're doing or your work, you cannot quote a source without citing it and giving authority or giving uh, credit to the author. So if I take some material, and it seems so impressive and it fits into my work, I cannot incorporate it and then hand over the paper or the work as though it were my own. It's called plagiarism. I'm stealing somebody else's idea and making it my own. So those things we understand. And this is important because we have here on authority the account of creation from the creator, the owner of the content whose idea it is to originate humanity and to define how the human race should be governed, should exist, and what is the purpose of the existence. And he writes this in great detail. And he says, we were once seated as a triune god, and we made a decision to originate humanity. And, And after we had done this, we gave humanity purpose and we gave humanity direction. We gave humanity dominion and we blessed them. So every time we make an attempt to rewrite the story, every time we, we make an attempt to originate an alternative creation theory and call it evolution, we infringe on God's copyright. We are violating his intellectual property. We are saying, this is not really yours, God. You didn't create us. Actually, let's tell you where we came from. One day, there was a big bang, and, and it was really big. Like a really big bang, God. You should have been there. You know? It was so big that it created some, something, some amoebic soup somewhere that began to, you know, just do things. And you know what? That's how the world came into being. Now they're trying to put together scientifically what they call a proton accelerator to see how this big bang could have existed. And we present these ridiculous theories, never mind that we were not there. In fact, we say it happened billions of years ago. It's ridiculous. And God is saying, all right. So tell me a little bit more about your existence, how you came into being. How these cells decided that we should exist. And one of the things that they cannot answer with any degree of accuracy or any degree of conviction is the origin of intelligence, even within the cells themselves, in order to order themselves to become what they are becoming. Where did that intelligence come from? That's me Telling Pri, you know what? You know, I don't like the beginning, I don't like the title. All right? And so I'm I'm reauthoring it. What authority do I have to reauthor this book? What authority do I have to change the ending? Because I didn't originate it. I don't know what the author was thinking when they had that in mind. They do, not me. And we steal God's intellectual property, we do with it whatever we want. And we abuse it, we misuse it, we misquote him, and then we plan how the story is going to end. Never mind that we don't even have the authority to do that, as we shall see. Because the story only ends the way God says it's going to end. And despite repeated demonstration that we do not have authority over our own lives, we still keep rebelling against him. And God takes great exception to this tendency by his creation to want to rewrite his story, to want to rewrite his purpose and what it is that we were meant to do. So hear this again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. At the core of the human family, are two human beings who are generally distinct, a man and a woman. And in that building block, God brings his blessing, and in the unity of those two, children are born. And even scientifically, it has been proved that a loving relationship between a man and a woman is the most conducive environment in which to bring up children. That is undisputed. And that's the building block of the human family. And God brings up these children and there's multiplication and there's God's blessing on that. Why? Because our basic dignity, our basic worth, our basic value as man and as woman, the fact that we can have dominion and dominion is given equally both to men and women, male and female, he created them. And told them, have dominion over all creation. Why? Because you are both equally image bearers. That's your dignity. That's your authority. That is your value. But long before we talk about anything else that we want to say, that may give us worth, whether it is wealth or it's career, those are not the things that God is looking at. He's saying, at a basic level, you are my image bearers. I desired to be reflected on this earth And you are the creatures who can do that most accurately. When you live according to the reason or the purpose for which I created you. I'm well represented in humanity. Now you can imagine the shocker that God gets every time. When he looks at you and looks at me. What is the expectation that you have when you stand before the mirror, and you look at the image that is on the other side. What is your your minimum expectation when you stand before a mirror? You might not articulate it, but your basic and most necessary intention is that at at a minimum, that mirror will reflect back your image. That's the only thing that you ask the mirror to do. Because the mirror has nothing original to itself. Its only work is to reflect you. And the more accurately it can reflect you back, the better the mirror. Woe to you on the day that you stand before your mirror and you make a smile and the image frowns back at you. Woe unto you on the day that you stand before the mirror and you don't like what you see and you move away from the mirror and the image is still there. What would you think of that mirror? we were talking about it with the pastors. They, they, they said you would flee from that house. You would leave everything. In fact, you would burn the house down. <laughs> because it's ridiculous. A mirror has nothing original to itself. Its work is to reflect back The object of the one who put it there. And this was God's only desire. God is spirit, all right? And so he desired to be reflected in actual physical form. And he creates us as that mirror that should reflect him back. But everything he does, everything he thinks, whatever he would like to do, he wouldn't do himself, he will see himself, you do it for him. That's his desire. That's what the image is supposed to do whatever God would do. You remember a statement that Jesus made? That the things that I do, it's not me who is doing them. It is the Father working through me. The words I speak are not my words. They are the Father speaking through me. The works I do is the Father doing his work through me. I am the mirror image of my Father. The activity that I have is prompted from above. And whatever God would like done, I am implementing that. When we say, I'm the hands and the feet of Jesus, you're literally saying that if Christ was here, he would go to those who are mourning, he would go and comfort those who are in distress, he would encourage, he would uplift, he would say the kingdom of God is at hand. So in that sense, I am being an image bearer. That's what it means. That's the responsibility of bearing the image of God. That because you exist, God never has to show up. And whatever that God would do, you're actually doing it on his behalf. And God is out there cheering you. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's exactly what I need done. And thank you for doing it. And he's saying, I will encourage you. I'll empower you. I'll give you the resources that you need to do my work. That's image bearing. And that's what God desires. Nothing else. He doesn't require you to do. Jesus told the disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's it. They said, you haven't eaten, eat something. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And that's why he could make a ridiculous statement at the end of his ministry. When Thomas asked him, you know, show us the way to the Father. Where, Where is the Father? We don't know what you're talking about. Just show us the Father, then we will follow you there. What does he say? Have I been with you all this time and yet you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen. This is the reflection and the glory and the power and the work of God. You have seen God because you've been with me. That is image bearing. That's the responsibility of the human race. And God doesn't want you to do anything else. And receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the starting point, because you cannot represent the one to whom you're not submitted to. You are the mirror where you, f- you, you smile at it and you frown back, because you do not have the software, the ability to do God's work, because the one who controls the person inside is not Christ. It's yourself. And only Christ can show us how to respond appropriately to be the true mirror that God wanted us to be. Image bearers. Think about that. The awesome responsibility of bearing the image of God. So in all areas of life, this Cuts across whether you're single, you're married, whatever your status, it doesn't matter. Your one responsibility is to be an image bearer and to do the works of God and to do the will of God and to hear the voice of God and be guided by God and be submitted to God. So we are not to be the ones who offer alternative theories about where we came from, about the purpose of existence. Theories about what is the value of humanity and what is not the value of humanity. Why? Because God created us in His image. And bearing His image means that we do what God would be doing if He was in our place. We speak the words of God, we do the acts of God, and so on and so forth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We do not have the right to redefine what a family is. That prerogative is with the creator of the content, the one who authored humanity. His declaration, male and female, he created them. Two genders, distinct are the only ones who can possibly reflect him accurately and bring forth offspring that will still reflect that image of God. Anything else would be a distortion of the image. Again, we cannot reauthor that. We, 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 We cannot change the beginning. We cannot change the ending. That prerogative is with Priscilla in this book. This prerogative is with God, the author of life. And so as we discuss many other things, including attempts to redefine what marriage is, to redefine who and who should be involved in marriage, these are the building blocks from the author. Ask yourself what authority you have to change what the originator of the content decided and if you do, your chances of success are absolutely zero. It will not work. And God blessed them as male and female. That's where the blessing of God comes. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. All those are blessings joined together. Chapter 2, um, just in setting up pace for the next. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work and he, uh, that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rests not because he's tired, but because the work is finished. And because we are image bearers, he says, I rested, I need you to rest. That's what the image does. If I stand up, I expect the image on my mirror to stand up, not to keep sitting. If I sit down, it must sit down too. So for you to mirror me accurately, I have set aside the seventh day, You are my image bearers. And so he institutes the Sabbath rest. A time when we must pause from our activity in order to reflect on our origins and the goodness of God. And those laws will be instituted later on into Israel so that they know that their help comes from the Lord, their sustenance comes from the Lord, not from the activities that they do. Why? Because they are image bearers. After all, 40 years in the desert, day and night. They never planted. They never harvested. They had no granaries on which to store food. Yet they ate and they drank because they are not their own sustainers. God is our sustainer. He wanted them to remember that. So these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush or field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up uh, from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground, Adam from Adama from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being and the lord god planted a garden in eden imagine that how lovely that garden must have been to have been you know planted by god in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the lord god made to to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the eye and good for food The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just a theological point to note there that one of the reasons that Aden had not been prepared is because God had not formed the man to work the ground. And this goes back to the dignity of work because it existed before the curse. A lot of people think that work is part of the curse. It is not. Work is blessed by God. In fact, he establishes the work of our hands. And God himself had been working for those six days until the day that he rested. And so part of how God blesses us is through work. So work is not cast; It's part of the blessings of God. And when he plants a garden in Eden, he then will bring the man to tend the garden and to work it or to take care of it. And gives him a stewardship role. Again, he's stewarding God's resources on God's behalf. And he puts him there in in Aden. And and God makes the garden itself beautiful. Did you see how he causes trees, all kinds of trees to spring up that are good, pleasant to the eye, but also good for food? So taking care of practical needs like eating, sustenance, God is a sustainer uh, first and foremost primarily. Only secondarily do we sustain ourselves. But God is our sustainer. But apart from that, he wants us to be in aesthetically beautiful surroundings. And so again, the idea of beauty and aesthetics is not original to mankind. God puts man in in an environment that is pleasant, that is beautiful, and that is good. So that the environmental mandate, the mandate to take care of the environment is a divine mandate that is rooted in creation. And this should speak to us, especially people like us in our country where we tend to trash our environment. We cut down trees and we change you know, weather patterns just by being totally irresponsible in the way that we manage the resources that God has bequeathed to us. This, this is not, not image-bearing This is rebellion against the image of God because the the Edenic kind of environment is what God had bequeathed to us and put us there to take responsibility for it. So every time we trash our environment, God takes great offense in that kind of thing and he's saying, this is not image-bearing. I created you. I expected you to be responsible. These things that have sprouted from everywhere have caused to grow. And now, you know, Instead of taking care of them, you're cutting down trees, you're burning down your environment. You, you cannot harness what it is that I have created. And God takes great offense. Our inability, despite the wastage of billions of shillings from our counties, to even do basic infrastructure around our townships. The other day it was raining heavily and I was walking up in Rwaka. And there's barely any distance. There's nowhere to walk apart from the road. When you step out of the road, there's a trench and there's water gushing everywhere. That's basic infrastructure. There should be nice walkways for people and and, and those who are riding bicycles in a place that is as populated as this. Yet our counties will squander millions of shillings without accountability. And they will not put basic infrastructure Garbage collection has become something of a proverb in this country. You know, you wonder why. That is irresponsibility. And for those of you who have, you know, visited other countries, you know that this is not the way. There is a much better way to live than the way we live here. And some of those countries, you can't help but think about their history. Many of them were founded on strong Christian principles, people who knew what it is to be an image bearer. And giving dignity to, human cre- I mean, to God's creation and God's people and the population because people have inherent dignity in them because they bear the image of God, whether they acknowledge it or not. And there are basic things that we must have in place. And these are places where us believers, as Christians, we need to change our mindsets. And yes, you might not be a county official and you might not be responsible for the entire county, but at least you are responsible for your home. We here are responsible for our church, and we try to keep it clean. You are responsible for the environment where you find yourself in. It's only in, in, in countries like ours, where we will catch up for three days, you know, Mfululizo. And then after that, you know, you drink your water, and then you throw away the bottle. Who is going to pick it for you? And we trash our environment, and God is saying, that is not image bearing. I expect responsibility for the creation that I have bequeathed to you, that you may look after it. The word here is that he may work it, tend it, nurture it as a steward in a responsible way. So consider this, the responsibility that God has given us as image bearers. First of all, to honor the story, to honor the author, to honor the manual that he has given us for our modus operandi, How did I, why did I create you? Why do you exist? What is your mandate and what is your purpose? He says it's image-bearing. You and I don't have the authority to change that story. We are not the authors. The content creator, the originator of who we are has that authority. And he has pronounced himself clearly. Let's not try to redefine that. Let's not steal the copyright, the intellectual property of that creator. And let's ask ourselves, what does image-bearing mean for me? Where I am in relating to my brother, to my sister, to my siblings, to my children, to my fellow disciples, to my fellow Christians, and even to the non-believers, because they are equally image-bearers. It's just that they have not acknowledged it. Think about those things. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you.